We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Tennessee, and Virginia. WinBet is now live in all these states, and the excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. For boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport, WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet. Download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato, who is about to be flying back East Coast for hopefully an extended period of time. I can't wait till Nick gets back out here. I haven't hung out with the kids since August, and I miss him. I really do. These online hangs are fun, but I want to hang with the man in person. So we can talk a little Giants football. Well, actually, we probably won't even talk that much Giants football. <laughs> When we hang in person, we talk enough about them on this podcast, but we want to do a mailbag podcast, which I sent a tweet out, by the way, earlier today. For those of you listening on Tuesday, check out my Twitter page. There's a mailbag, you know, one of those tweets that says drop your questions and we want to do a massive mailbag or a one, two, three part mailbag. We haven't done one in so long, so we'll probably do that one as well over this break but nick's coming home for uh, for christmas and what a perfect time you got a treat before your flight today nick you got to watch the giants offense on all 22 and that's what we're breaking down today the new york giants offense on the all 22 film what a treat it was wasn't it nick more of a trick but you know halloween has passed <laughs> nice that was well I, that was one of your better ones i actually got a little laugh in there <laughs> thanks man but it wasn't it wasn't uh great but i gotta say though man to um, I'm not as sour on Freddie Kitchens after watching the All-22 than I was, I, I would say, before I kind of dove into the film. I wanted to ask you, what was your take on that? Yeah, I'd even go the opposite direction, go even more extreme with that. Not only am I not as sour, I loved the game plan from Freddie Kitchens. That was one of my key themes that I had. I thought, one, he did a much better job of you. The best job I've seen any coordinator do of utilizing Evan Ingram as a key weapon in this game plan since... I guess since Pat Shermer, because, you know, McAdoo didn't do a great job with it. Garrett did a horrific job with it, trying to make him in that Jason uh, Witten mold. So excellent job with Ingram. He did a great job utilizing his backs here in this game as well. It's not his fault that Saquon Barkley dropped two passes and ran one of the worst routes I've seen from a back who we have been clamoring for. And we're going to get to this play because I just put it on Twitter. It was ugly. We've been clamoring for him to be used in the passing game, yelling at every coach in the past. Why don't you involve him in the passing? Game? Well, guess what? I know why. I'm seeing it now on the film. He doesn't run good routes. 
He may look like an athlete. He doesn't run good routes. And so he tried to get Barkley involved. But I like that. Even, even without that, I like him getting the backs involved in the passing game. I liked him throwing a lot on first downs. He threw a lot on first downs. And I liked the route combinations. There was a lot of ver- vertically based routes. And there was a lot of different ways to get people open using not just three routes or four routes that stop at the sticks. Losing a lot of bunch formation, which we've talked extensively about, Nick. Um and so I'm with you, man. I was really, I really came away thinking this is the night and day versus what we were seeing so often with Jason Garrett on film from just the play calling standpoint, route combinations. Standpoint, yeah, it didn't all work. The execution wasn't there. This line is pathetic. These guys don't play together on offense at all. They really don't look in sync at all, but that's not on kitchens really, right? That's not on a coordinator. Well, in terms of the pass protection, I mean, it falls a little bit on him. It also definitely falls on Rob Sale, and it's also a personnel thing. I think my biggest issue with the Giants' offense in this game was execution, man. It was poor from Mike Glennon's standpoint. It was kind of poor from receiving standpoint. Saquon Barkley, Darius Slayton dropped a couple passes. And then the pass protection was just horrendous, man. Will Hernandez, I don't I don't think the guy understands what a stunt is. It's in, And obviously, I'm being hyperbolic there, but there are times where it's like, bro, Obviously, that guy is the penetrator and there's a looper coming and it doesn't even seem like he's aware of what's going on. But just to touch on Kitchens a little bit, man, I mean, they started this game out with a lot of quick hitting passes, a lot of screen passes, get their playmakers the ball in space, second and seven on the first drive, the second and 15 on the second drive. They had a first and 10 screen to Devontae Booker a little bit later. I think that was on the third drive as well. So I like the fact that they were like, hey, look, Brian Flores is going to bring the blitz. And oh boy, did Brian Flores bring the blitz all game. We're going to try to catch them napping a little bit and try to slow down this pass rush a little bit to take a little bit off of the offensive line. Now, in the end, it didn't really work. A lot of those blitz or a lot of those screens didn't really work either, but I like the mindset of that and the whole just get the football in the Saquon Barkley's hand. They had so many design plays, a lot of a lot of design plays of him in the passing game. Also, you had the 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 touch pass right in front. I like that kind of play. It just wasn't blocked up well by the right side yeah. of the line of scrimmage. So I appreciate what Freddie Kitchens was trying to do, but the execution was horrific. Love the touch pass because that's something we've been clamoring for for years now. Steal it right out of that Chiefs playbook. Playbook, I'm sorry. Of course, execution's not there. It's almost never there with the Giants right now on offense. And I don't blame Kitchens for that. Again, I blame this offense for being out of sync. I blame the head coach, uh, to be completely honest, in some ways for not having this team ready and in sync and prepared and looking at all like a professional football team on offense because they're not looking like one right now from an execution standpoint. And I love how after using that push pass that he stole right out of the Chiefs playbook to the athlete, we want the ball in, in his hands of in space, at least in theory with Saquon Barkley. I mean, I will go on talking a little bit later, Nick, about how he just doesn't isn't playing with confidence right now. This is the least confident version of Saquon in his entire career. And I think the confidence factor is a big reason why we're seeing so many lazy routes, so many lazy play looking plays from him. Uh, to be completely honest with it, they, they really don't look great. At, he really doesn't look confident out there. Maybe it's that he doesn't trust himself health wise, or maybe it's just, you know, professional athletes need confidence to be great. And he just, I think he's starting to read the, you know, the pressing, cl- the press clippings and, you know, what people are saying and maybe let it, letting it get to him a little bit. But I did love, you know, just a great example of something I like from Kitchens. After using that push pass with Barkley, he comes back to it later, a drive or two later, and fakes the push pass and throws the outside screen to uh, Devontae Booker. Again, <laughs> the execution horrific on this. The blocking's not there, but that's a good play call. And that can work for a nice gain if, you know, you have an offense that can just 
execute or be in sync at, in any way whatsoever. So I'm with you. I thought that was my main key takeaway. I was came away from this thinking, okay, you know what? I like what I see from Kitchens too, even to the extent of like, I have guys that'll be on my short list and we're going to get to this all in the off season for a Giants offensive coordinator in 2022 if Joe Judge is brought back as the head coach. And I'm sure you have some names too. But I, I look at this game plan from K Freddie Kitchens, and I'm like, this is so much better than anything we saw from Jason Garrett when he was forced to play Colt McCoy last year. Anything we saw from Jason Garrett when he was forced to play a defense that's going to blitz a lot. A defense going to have an advantage in the passing game from a pass rush standpoint. And it almost was like Jason Garrett. We, we, we even tied times. We're like, well, this was the best Garrett can do. Or like, you know, oh, well, he, you know, what's he going to do? And I didn't feel that way with Kitchens. I felt like Kitchens had some ideas on how to attack what they were doing on how to counter, you know, the defensive coordinator's game plan. And that to me is impressive. It is impressive, man. And that's what you want to see. And it's not like Jason Garrett was inept at doing that, but I just felt like he was rigid. If there's any, if there was any uh, term, I think, to describe Jason Garrett, other than, you know, on innovative, unimaginative and all those terms that we've used is rigid. He was rigid. He thought he could use his system and that his system was the be all end all. And it obviously wasn't, especially with, a lot of the issues that the Giants ended up having along the offensive line and the personnel and all the injuries and all the other excuses we make that are valid, but they're still excuses at the end of the day. You need to win football games and the Giants have significantly struggled to do so. Yeah, without a doubt. And so for those of you listening in, we know we've heard some of the feedback. It's, it's somewhat hard to follow when we do the drive by drive stuff with, um, you know, without video. That's not cap We're not we're not at that point right now, but we will still do some drive by drive stuff on these all 22s. We're going to talk about key concepts, though, as well, like we just did in that intro. And we're going to talk about players as well. Things we need to look at as we move forward with this Giants team and as we try to evaluate them. But let's start here by driving into it, by diving into, I should say, Nick, a couple of these drives. Let's start with the first drive here. This Because, again, I really do feel like some of the best from Kitchens was earlier in the game. And obviously that correlates, I think, with Glennon, who played much better football at the beginning. Uh, also played much better football when he wasn't under siege. I mean, Miami had some really nice blitzes and just overall they found a way to get pressure. Sometimes even when the Giants were in max protect, it was crazy. It's crazy to watch. I've, I'll say this, Nick. I don't watch all the other teams, and I know you don't either. We don't evaluate film on anyone but the Giants and their opponent. That's all we get to see in the season. But I can't imagine there's a team that has more more examples of only three players running routes and pass protection breaking down within one and a half seconds. Like we saw that happen again in the red zone in this game on one of the plays. Like. How is this a thing with the Giants? That's actually two plays in my notes. I see another one down there of just three man routes. And yet pass protection can't even hold up for two seconds. Like what has to go into that? Like for this to happen, they can't pick up stunts, man. They really, really struggle with stunts. They really struggle with twists. They really struggle with stunts. And then they, I thought Miami did just an excellent job not to dive into Miami too much, but it obviously has an impact on the Giants offense. How many times did they use creepers or they used the quote unquote Kavika Mitchell blitz for those who followed the 2007 season uh, in the Super Bowl when Kavika Mitchell kind of stood towards the offensive guard, showed like he was going to blitz, occupied the guard, and then dropped back into coverage. And that screwed up the protection leading to a hit or I believe a sack on Tom Brady. They use that so much in this game with their linebackers where it held Matt Skura or Ben Bredesen in place. And then they would bring someone off the edge and they would devise a 2v1 against a six-man pass protection because they would have Saquon Barkley on the edge with two rushers coming. And he had to eliminate the inside guy while the tackle was blocking down because that center or that guard was held in place by the linebacker who potentially was blitzing. But that left the free rusher coming off the edge when they sent six. Sometimes they sent seven. So 
it's a really difficult thing to to uh, to block up from a protection standpoint. And I felt like Miami did such a good job with that. And they also stunted into the A-gap so many times. I just felt like Matt Skura had one of the worst games I've seen from an offensive lineman. And it wasn't even just the stunts. He was just getting dominated at the point of attack by Qu- uh, Christian Wilkins and some of these other guys on the defensive line. It, it wasn't a good look. It was stunts. It was a variety of pressure packages. It was occupying the offensive line pre-snap and then just after the snap before bailing into coverage using creepers, all of those types of things that just absolutely manipulated the protection of this Giants offensive line. It reminded me a little bit of what Mike Zimmer did back in 2019 against Hal yep. Hunter and the and that offensive line. It was a terrible, terrible game from from Hal Hunter and the offensive line of the New York Giants. And this one kind of reminded me of that. And I think Rob Sale needs to take some blame as well. That's such a good callback here, Nick. That game, it was a lot like that. And it, this is kind of like the defense I almost expected to see from Patrick Graham when he arrived to the Giants. It hasn't been the defense he's played. But the way that the Dolphins called this game was something I expected the Giants would do a lot of. And that's okay. Like, I like how the Giants defense operates. And I think Patrick Graham's doing a great job. So it's not what we expected, but he's doing well anyway. But like you said, it was similar to that game against the Vikings from Jones's rookie season where it really felt helpless. The passing game felt helpless in this game for the Giants based on what the Dolphins were doing, but more so based on what you said. You can't have guard play like this. I mean, you talked earlier about Will Hernandez playing atrocious, and he did, but somehow Matt Skura was worse, and he was benched for how poor he was playing. He was benched, but, you know, when you keep benching and mixing in these guys, I know last year Joe Judge talked to us about, you know what, I like rotating in the alignment. I like, I believe in it, and he's, and he's done a lot of it this year, but at what point does it hurt you from a continuity standpoint? At what point is rotating all these offensive linemen, actually making it take a step back every time because they're not on the same page. And you see all this out-of-sync offensive line play. Like, the Giants were trying so hard, and I like this, early in the game to get the screen game going from Kitchens. I mean, he threw screens to the backs. He threw screens to Slayton later in the game. He was trying to get the quick screen game going, which I like. I think a screen game is a big part of every great offense, but... It's not easy to get it done when your offensive line is this out of sync, specifically on screen plays and obviously then in pass protection as well. And honestly, it's all three phases because they're out of sync in the run game as well. It's just terrible stuff right now. Hernandez and Skira, I can't imagine worse guard play anywhere around the NFL. Price is not much better at center. You have Solder out there as well. It's gotten to a crazy point, man. Like this offensive line is has to be worse than anything we've seen. And it's not like it was better on paper when Gettleman got here. I mean, he had he was coming off the season from Reese where it was the what was it? The flowers heart combination at tackle. But at least the guard and interior play was somehow better. It might have not had the name brand guys, the Will Hernandez taken at 34 overall, or you know, the whoever else has been on this line and was drafted high. Nate Solder, huge contract, whatever it may be. Might not have had the same name brand guys, Nick, but I think the offensive line play is the worst I've seen it for for this past, you know, three, four, five game stretch that I can remember. Yeah, it's it's difficult, man, because I don't want to just uh, have recency bias because that offensive line was right. putrid. It was so bad. And it also looked even probably worse because you had Eli Manning, who was basically a statue at that point of his career back there. At least Daniel Jones can move around a little bit. And I feel like he's progressed over this season with navigating the pocket to kind of make the offensive line look somewhat better, but still better is too much of a compliment for this current offensive line. But at the end of the day, you look at both offensive lines, they're both putrid. They both should be ranked 32nd in the league. And I don't even know if the Giants would be. I mean, Miami's offensive line is not much better. I mean, we saw that on the film watching the defense, but man, bro, like that's what their offensive game plan is just focused on the RPO to kind of hold right. 
the the Giants defense in place and then throw based off it or hand the football off. And it kind of works out. And that's kind of how they get around an atrocious offensive line. We've criticized Jason Garrett in the past for not using enough RPOs. We saw it a little bit more this year, but still, I mean, almost every single play the Dolphins run seems to be an RPO. Yeah, they. I saw a stat, and we'll get to it on the defensive podcast, but I did see a stat this week. I think the Dolphins are, like, lapping the league in RPO usage. I think they're more than double the next team, at least over these last few games since Tua has returned to the lineup as their starting quarterback. I think that was where the numbers. And let's, you know what? Like, we'll get to it on that pod, but it was working for them, and in a lot of ways, it allowed them to generate a little more of a crisp-looking offense. Like, that offense isn't great for Miami. Tua does not. I'm not a huge Tua guy, and I think he played okay for what the, he played good for what they're asking him to do. They didn't really ask yeah. him to do too much, though, and he doesn't have a lot of velocity on a lot of his throws. Like these, it's not. It's going to be tough to get away with that kind of, in my mind, with that kind of arm talent for a long period of time. Like I just, even the play that Aaron Robinson made, which we'll get to, which was a really nice play early in game to break up a pass. That ball, like he was, he had a decent amount of separation. That ball took a long time to get there. I mean, he just doesn't have any kind of velocity on his throws. I think even Jones has a, a considerably more velocity on on his throws in that ten to fifteen yard range. And then obviously over the top, two has to really yank to get into, you know, crank back to get into any to get any uh, anything on those throws. Really, so that's one thing. But back to the Giants' offense, man. I mean, let's take a look at this first drive. A couple things that stood out to me, and I want to get your takes on those and anything that stood out to you about the first drive. Obviously not an excellent drive, but I did like how Kitchen was trying to get the screen game going early. And I thought early on they had a really nice route combination on the third and four with 1338 in the first quarter. You have three receivers lined in a bunch, something we've talked a lot about we want to see more from Garrett when he was a coordinator because it gets you those free releases. And it was a really nice anticipation throw from Glennon. And I'll say this, man. Obviously, Glennon didn't have a good game, and he was much better early on. But he did make a considerable number of anticipation throws. And I will say this. And what I mean by that is just throwing to a spot where the receiver can get get you know, get to, to get open, not waiting for the receiver to get open and then throwing him the ball once he's already open and he has to wait for it. And watching these throws, man, I, it really does remind me that I haven't, I'll be honest with you. One of my biggest flaws right now with my Daniel Jones valuation is I just don't see enough anticipatory throws on his game film. And, and it kind of, when you see a drive like this and you see a couple drives, like the first three drives really from Glennon in this, where you see, you know, two, three, four anticipatory throws and you look at a whole game film of Jones and you might see one or two, it does start to make you think, or at least starts to make me think, think, and I want to get your take on that because we did talk to Mark Schofield a couple weeks ago about Jones and he even said himself, like, we need to see more of those anticipatory throws. You can't, you can't just be wait to get open and then throw the football there. It's got to get out faster and he's got to throw receivers open. Yeah, everything's quick in the NFL, and I would agree. I think we've seen it and we've acknowledged it on the podcast that Daniel Jones has done that this year, but it's not enough. You need to see more of it, especially if you're going to be a starting quarterback. And you're right, man. Glennon, on that third and four, that was a nice anticipatory throw to Farrow Cooper, who's just kind of sinking into his break, and Glennon's already winding back to throw the football. And he had a couple of these, man. And, I, and there was a play, dude. It was, the I think, the first play of the second quarter where Glennon looked like he took a shot to the head, helmet to helmet from Van Ginkle, who stunted through the B gap. And I think that could possibly, and I'm not a doctor, but that could possibly be where Glennon got rattled and possibly suffered his concussion. Because it looked like it just went right up into his face mask and his head kind of jolted back as he fell backward. And I was like, oh, that that doesn't look right right there. you know. And then nothing ended up happening. He ended up playing the rest of the game. But his play suffered significantly after that. I actually kind of thought Mike Glennon played relatively well up until that point outside of the 
I think he just, you know, got cocky and thought he could drive a football into Darius Slayton in double coverage, which was just a terrible decision by him. But there were a lot of throws before that point that I felt like were pretty impressive. You know what, Nick? I completely agree with this take. I have it in my notes too, except with the exception of that Slayton ball that he just, I don't even know why he tried that throw. It's kind of just predetermined. You know, is that F it? It's first and 10. I'm taking a shot. You know, the Giants have been a team that likes to take shots off play action on first and 10. But he, even the way he threw that ball, man, he had to like cock back. He did not look natural throwing that football out there. And the safety was <laughs> completely shaded in that direction. And he didn't do anything with his eyes to hold him or anything. It was just a, a bad decision. But with the exception of that play, I really have it like until this mid-second quarter, I thought he played a really good game. I thought we were even going to get to the point of the way he was playing and moving the football with a lot of tough spots. I mean, third and eight, third and 10, third and another third and long. Where And he's just throwing anticipatory balls to Ingram to get out of spots or to Galladay to get out of spots. A back shoulder that was really nicely executed in my mind by, by the play design by Kitchens, which I want to get to and I want to get your take on. But he looked good out there. I thought we might end that game thinking, wow. Glennon threw for 250 and a couple TDs. He's moving the offense pretty well, but obviously after that hit, maybe it was or whatever it was, he just wasn't the same. And you could see it in his play. He was shaky and he was shell-shocked and he was falling back off his back foot and had very few bounced base throws after that point. Now, I think part of it, Nick, and you could tell me if you agree with this or disagree with this, is the Dolphins really turned up the pressure, I thought, after that point. like They kind of were like, you know what? We we figured it out. <laughs> Let's just gonna we're just gonna blitz a lot more often. We're gonna make it a lot more difficult for this line. So maybe that was the case. But I do agree with you overall. He looked a lot better at the beginning. Yeah, it could be that, and it's also uh, just they. I think they might have saw that Mike Glennon was was sh- shooken up at that point because I mean they were bringing blitzes early as well, but they were also having success just stunting like on the third and ten to end the first drive. If you watch that play, man, and we could talk about some of the plays in the first drive and then kind of transition to the second drive because we've been lingering here for a little bit. Evan Ingram's open, man, on that third and ten. Yeah, it was a nice vertical concept, and he passes a linebacker, and you know he's open. But dude, it's a difficult her. hole shot, but he is open for that hole shot. But I mean, I think Mike Glennon puts that ball right on him because there's a lot of space there. It's just yeah. Matt Skura totally whiffs on the stunt. Yep. He allowed the looper just to go right around him. And then Glennon gets flushed out of the pocket, finds Kyle Rudolph for like a seven yard gain. The Giants end up punting the football. So the Giants were actually getting open in, in, in some of these areas. And again, that's going to oh, yeah. happen when you send like five, six blitzers. That's another reason why they were getting open. That's one positive sign. Now, if that's a positive sign that Joe Judge is alluding to in his, his post-game press conference, he might need to go back and reevaluate a little bit because the protection was the big issue here. And the reason why these guys are open is because there are less guys covering major- the majority of the time. But on this play, there was only a four-man rush. Stunt was not picked up. Four-man rush. Evan Ingram is wide open. And this could have been a huge play if Matt Skura could execute a damn stunt correctly. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right here, Nick. There's nothing else to say really about it. You you nailed it. I have it in my notes, too. He has that whole shot. It's open, and Glenn was ripping those balls early, too, but really bad job by Skirt. This would be the one play, I would say, third and 10, uh, first quarter, 11-31, where you could really see just how bad Skirt is, and he was benched. I mean, he was benched. There's no, there's no future with him. There's nothing really to him. It's just another player on this line that they've missed on. Um, obviously, the situations aren't easy, but... You know, they've tried some things, trade for Bredesen, trade for Price. Well, they're bad. Pick up Scarra. Well, he's bad. Draft Hernandez 34. Well, he's bad. Pay pay Solder and keep him on the roster despite him clearly in practice not looking good. Well, he's really bad because there's some really bad reps from Solder and Pass Pro. And and I guess they're missed on that one, too. It's really just overall horrific job in my mind by this, this. Go ahead. 
And I said, terrible job. Just an absolutely. Yeah, you, you just can't get to this point where that's what we're saying, where we have just one competent offensive lineman. They've put resources into this. They've tried to build this out. They said their first, this regime said the first thing is we're going to fix the O-line. Okay. Well, even if you miss on that, I get it. It's hard in the NFL to find offensive alignment. I totally understand that. But you had at least one other good one here in Zeitler. And then you felt he was overpaid and too old. And so you cut him. Well, then you better have a solution. It can't be Hernandez. Like It can't be what we're seeing on film every week between Hernandez and Skira. It just can't be. It just can't be. It's just, it's so frustrating, Nick. But let's get to that second drive. Well, oh, first, before, before we get to the second drive, yeah. the second and seven screen before that was also Matt Skura, man, blowing a three-technique yeah. block where he was going to just block and then he was going to kick out for a screen. This was a well-designed screen, jet motion. I felt like Freddie Kitchens implemented jet motion. A few different times in this game, which is excellent because, you know, it holds the defense just long enough to to maybe gain a little bit of an advantage. And it looked like they did that here on this play with the linebackers. Everyone's focused on Farrell Cooper. Saquon Barkley just leaks out and two Dolphins end up reading it. And Matt Skura trips initially, tries to get up and then just can't locate the kick out block there. Saquon Barkley gets rallied around and ends up getting tackled. It's like, come on, man. Like Matt Skur is a big reason why that first drive just didn't end up working out. Also like the second and seven inverted wishbone. It's something they've been using about one play every game for the last three or four games. Only this time it was a play action dump off pass. Felt like Mike Lennon did a good job seeing that somebody was coming in on him and just getting rid of the football to Devontae Booker to pick up a couple yards here. I like the fact that every week when they show this inverted wishbone, it's when there's Quarterback is in shotgun, two running backs to his left and his right, and then another running back behind him. You can do a lot of different things from this formation, who you can hand the ball off to. I feel like the Giants are doing a good job showing that, and this time they incorporate a play action and a pass from it. So I like the fact that they're getting a little bit creative with a more unconventional formation. Are you finally ready to win money and boost your odds? WinBet is now live in Arizona, Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Michigan, Tennessee, and Virginia. The excitement of Win Las Vegas has finally landed in online sports betting and casino play. Get exclusive rewards right at your fingertips. Get in on the action with your favorite teams and players from the NFL, MLB, NHL, golf, MMA, WNBA, college football, and more. Right now at WinBet, you can find great promos, odds, and payouts from boosted parlays to live in-game offs on every major sport. WinBet gives you the tools to win. Sign up today for your risk-free $1,000 sports bet and download the WinBet app now or visit winbet.com. That's W-H-N-N-Bet.com to start winning. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 years or older and present in a state where play through WinBet is available. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, exactly. You you nailed that perfectly. And there was a lot of pre-snap motion. There was a lot of jet sweep motion. Like I said, there was a lot of a really concerted effort to get the screen game going, which I believe in. And I think you believe in it too, Nick. I know right now it doesn't look good when the Giants run screens, but it's a really good way to slow down a team that's blitzing a lot. It really is. It's a great counterpunch for it. And it's a good way to pick up easy free yardage that doesn't have to be handing the ball off on first and 10 for nothing or second and 10 for nothing, which is essentially every time when the Giants try to run on those downs. And so we move on to the second drive where the Giants got a little bit going until Glennon threw that weird interception. Um, Some things that stood out to me we talked about the push pass earlier first and 10 uh was 623 in the quarter in the first quarter if anyone wants to look at it it didn't work out the execution wasn't there but great call i thought again screen on second down so really good effort to get that the third and 11 with 452 in the first quarter a really nice hole shot uh here to, to evan ingram for 18 yards by glennon i'll be honest with you i haven't seen that throw too much from daniel jones on the 2021 film if we're just going to be completely objective and honest about it we haven't seen that exact throw very often and i do think like as i'm watching this game nick in that intermediate range like this this doesn't he's a much worse quarterback than jones we can obviously tell that but glennon has a little bit more velo and rip on his ball in this intermediate range and in these spots where you're trying to take these whole shots, um, you need that. And he's more willing to try to take those shots. So that stood out to me. I want to get your take also, Nick, on that, but also the 411 first and 10 right after that, the two yard loss to Booker. I mean, I just can't imagine worse blocking than the two guards here from Skirin Hernandez. Like it was so, I watched that three times over. It was so gross to watch. Both Skira and Hernandez are just pushed right back into the backfield, into the back. Like, how many times are we going to have to watch plays in this run game where they're pushed into the backfield? Um, but then second and 12, great job by Kitchens in a bad spot on second and 12. And again, he does a much better job as a play caller in my mind, Nick, and I'm sure you agree, but I'm curious if you don't, of not running the ball on obvious rundowns. And so on second and 12, great job to use motion from right to left to get the bunch on the left. And then Galladay isolated in one-on-one in a tight split. What I really liked about this back shoulder, so then he hits him on the back shoulder for 20 yards. What I like so much about this, Nick, was that he gets the one-on-one with Galladay on the right because he uses motion to get the bunch on the left. But instead of having Galladay lined up on the on the outside, on the boundary, he has him in that tight split, kind of what we see Sean McVay do with the receivers. And that gives Glennon and Galladay space for the back shoulder, a ton of space for it. So it makes it look like a really easy pitch and catch for 20 yards. And it, I find it hard to believe, Nick, that Jason Garrett couldn't make this play call one time in his 11 or whatever games it was calling for Giants plays. And even dating back to last year, I didn't see this this kind of design one time. And this is as easy as it gets for pitch and catch to Kenny Galladay here. And then obviously the interception. Those are my key takeaways from the second drive. Any thoughts on those or anything else that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, I've seen that play design plenty of times from Jason Garrett. It's just, it doesn't, 
it, they just don't throw the back shoulder a lot of the time. Like they, they use the reduced split X receiver with the bunch to the other side. And I, and I love it too, because you're, you nailed it, Dan. It's, he releases outside and the coverage is really good towards the inside. You know, it's going to be man coverage by the pre-snap alignment from the defense. And he just fires it back shoulder. I don't feel like Daniel Jones fires it back shoulder a lot, but in terms of what you brought up a little bit earlier with Mike Glennon and Daniel Jones, I'm curious about that, man. Like, I don't know if Mike Glennon has a ton more velo than someone like Daniel Jones. I, I would be interested to see the, uh, the, the, the uh, stats on that when it, when it comes to the velo. I've, we've seen Daniel Jones make a couple of those throws over the middle of the field, but I, I would say maybe sometimes he's a little bit more hesitant to. It seemed like Mike Glennon early in this game was ripping the pass in there. Any, anything on that? I think that's probably fair. I think from the overall velo numbers, it kind of was just an eye test thing. I don't think it's much of a difference. I don't think it's something like considerable, not like yeah. when you watch Tua throw the ball versus kind of like, because like I said, Jones can hit those spots, but I think you're probably on something here. The bigger difference is that he's not as willing to. Glennon is just more willing to make these tight window throws. Something that I saw last week, Taylor Heineke has the most tight window throws in the NFL. I'm big on the tight window stuff, man. I want a quarterback who's going to try tight window stuff and is going to try to make these whole shots because it's the best. You got to move the ball, man. You have to try to pick up yards. You can't can't always be safe. It can't always be. Uh, well, it's not perfect. I don't know if I can fit it in there. I'm not going to try to. Sometimes you got to try to fit the ball in there. And early in the game, Glennon tried a lot of these whole shots. And even the one you said, like from last drive, if Skura had held that block, he probably would have hit Ingram on that third and ten. And I mean, what was the result? He he converted to three straight or three in these first few drives, three third and long situations that mm -hmm. we've seen time and time again under Daniel Jones these last couple of years. We punt and it's thrown underneath or it's thrown on a little, you know, curl back to the quarterback or a stop route or some slant that gets broken up and it just doesn't convert. So I don't know. It was just something that stood out to me. Yeah. And then the, uh, you, you brought up, well, first off that second and 12 play we were just talking about just to give the offensive line a little bit of credit when they actually did pick up a stun. I felt like Billy Price did a really good job locating the looper here and not allowing him to, to hit Mike Glenn in the pocket. This is one of the only times when the pocket seemed to be somewhat intact. And that was on the back shoulder play to Kenny Galladay. We broke down. And a reason why the Giants keep finding themselves in second and long, third and long is because they can't block the run when they attempt to run the football. Like on that first and 10 play, you broke down with Devontae Booker. I mean, that's a power gap play. Will Hernandez is the play side guard. So it's G lead. And he's supposed to be kicking out the end man on the line of scrimmage. Andrew Van Ginkle, former Wisconsin Badger, if I am not mistaken. And he just can't move him at all. It's so weird. I mean, it's a great squeeze technique from Van Ginkle on that play, but you're talking about what a, at least 80 pound difference here with momentum because Van Ginkle sinks himself to get lower pad level, but Will Hernandez gets no push at all. And there's nowhere to run because Skura gets beat. That's just two terrible guards right there, not executing their assignments well. And I just don't understand and can't wrap my mind around Will Hernandez and why he just fails to to generate any push, man, this guy's an incredibly strong athlete. Like let's not undersell that, but it just never results on the play tape. You know what I mean, man? It's wildly frustrating. I know exactly what you mean. And first, let me give a shout out to Van Ginkle who did flash a lot on this. Yeah, team, man. Van Ginkle's a really good player. They found at the cost of nothing a day four, a day three pick. And I'm going to go out and venture upon saying linebacker, uh, Wisconsin's turning a little bit into linebacker. You, Okay, Nick, <laughs> linebacker you, baby, because we got guys like this. And, yeah, we're not talking about the best of the best. Okay, we don't find Luke Keekley's out of this program. But we got guys playing in that 3-4 style defense that Jim Leonard runs. It's a really NFL-ready defense, the way teams are now playing at the NFL level. Not all teams, but, you know, the Dolphins, Giants, Ravens, Patriots style of defense with, you know, just the way they play that, that defense with a lot of guys at that second level. 
that need to be athletic, that need to do the things, they need to do a lot of things right. Like even TJ Edwards, a guy who I never thought would make it from Wisconsin, has made it. And I really like thinking of this, but let me now talk about Hernandez, man, because geez, man, you said it best. Like this guy, play strength was not supposed to be an issue. Play strength was supposed to be one of his best traits. What the hell is wrong with this guy? He has does nothing well at the NFL level with the, his occasional flash reps, reps that look pretty good and look like, okay, yeah, this is why this guy was talked about as a borderline first-round pick. And the Giants, literally, Gettleman said, I had to be held back to not trade up to this guy. He was on the phones trying to trade up because it's Gettleman, and he locks in on a prospect. Oh, I got to get this guy. I love him. Oh, my God. He's touched by the hand of God. Oh, my God. Daniel Jones, we fell in love with him at the Senior Bowl. Well, he fell in love with Hernandez, too, at the Senior Bowl nearly traded up for him and eh, wrong he stinks and it's crazy because this guy is just so bad at the nfl level and he was so good at the collegiate level but maybe part of that nick is that it's the level of competition he played at utep like he wasn't playing sec football but that's the weirdest part because he came to the senior bowl and he looked good in the senior bowl and during the senior bowl practice week so what the hell is wrong with this kid I have no idea, man. And it's wildly frustrating to, to keep seeing that coming from UTEP. I mean, and, and the thing about that was, yeah, that's a smaller level of competition. He goes to the senior bowl, man. I was there, dude. He had an excellent senior bowl, bro. He was one of the prospects from a smaller school that everybody was raving about and everybody was talking about, but he's just failed to develop. I mean, and he had a, he had a good 2018 too. His rookie season was pretty solid, man, but he just failed to, to take that next step. And as we always say, Mark Schofield says it. A lot of people say, man, development isn't linear. And it definitely wasn't for Will Hernandez because he started hot and it's been nothing but downhill ever since and it's just so disappointing do you want to break down the interception real quick uh by glennon before we go to the third drive yeah you can you can jump on that one nick yeah man what i think glennon was doing here is play action you know they're at midfield i like the fact that they're attempting to take a shot on first and 10 you know i love that the pre-snap the dolphins are in a too high it looks like it could be cover six because you have that uh, field side cornerback kind of dropping to a deep fourth and i think glennon expected Xavier Howard, who was the deep one-fourth defender to the field, to sink on an out route to Kenny Galladay, leaving a one-on-one -on -one matchup with Darius Slayton and rookie Javon Holland, who's an absolute stud, heading deep. That did not happen. Xavier Howard has his eyes because it's zone coverage on Glennon the entire time. And he just sinks underneath this play and makes the interception over Darius Slayton. Not a lot Darius Slayton could do here. Two defenders kind of colliding on him. And the ball isn't exactly the best thrown football either it seems like it kind of dies a little bit coming from around midfield but i think in my glennon's mind he just expected howard to, to be attached to kenny galladay's out right. route did not happen you know that's exactly what i think he thought too and I, I think he made that decision early i agree with you that was not a good ball by glennon it looked weird coming out of his hand as i rewatched it on the film like i just didn't think he threw it cleanly and I just think for a guy as his size, and he doesn't really have the deep ball that you expect from him, right? Like, I mean, that was kind of the only example we saw all game. The Giants aren't in our position right now to be throwing deep shots with their offensive line, and especially against a team that's blitzing heavy. But, like, man, he just doesn't throw a good ball over his career. I've kind of noticed that with Glennon. This was not a good ball, like you said. It wasn't a good decision, and it wasn't a good ball. That's a combination that usually leads to a turnover-worthy play, as we saw here. Yeah, sadly, sadly. But you know what? Right now, man, this New York Giant team, obviously I would never root for the team to lose, but at the same time, you have to kind of look and be like, well, they lost. Well, you know, that's better draft position. And you kind of rationalize it that way. And come draft season, we'll definitely be uh, expressing that. And I know, you, you, are you in full loss mode right now? No, I mean, my, my, my take on this, and I put this out on Twitter this week, I can't watch this Giants team and not root for them to win. I want them to yeah. win. 
And more importantly, I just want the players that could be part of their success in the future years to play well. And the only way for that to happen is if they win. So ultimately, what I do want them is to win. But I'm also not stupid. And I'm not going to say stupid enough, but I'm also not going to sit here and say to anyone with a straight face that I think winning games is better for them long term. Because I'm just not a big total believer in the whole uh, building culture and these late season meaningless wins when they're out of the playoff run are good for them because we, we keep here. I keep hearing that Nick and I just don't see enough tangible evidence. I heard it last year about when they, when they won all those games at the end of last season, but what happened this year? It didn't carry over at all. They started the season three and seven and what were they one and six at one point? Was that what it dropped to it? Would they win one of their first six games? One of the, so it just didn't carry over. And I just keep hearing this same narrative, but until I see more tangible evidence that it can carry over, I'm just not going to believe in it. But at the same time, like I said, uh, even though I might know like long-term it's better if they lose these games, like, especially if it's like a situation where, well, if they lost this game to blah, 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 they would have got agent Aiden Hutchinson or cave uh, on but because they won this game, they didn't, but Hey, they built culture in the win. Then I'm just not like, obviously I'm not going to sit here and believe that. But at the same time, like, like I said, man, I, I want them to win these games because it means players are playing well. And hopefully those players are part of an eventual winning team. Whenever that might be, I felt like it was going to be this year. I was wrong. I was dead wrong about this Giants team. I thought they would win games this year. And, and to be quite honest with you, Nick, they should have. They went all in from a from a cap standpoint. They went all in with their third free agent spending spree under this GM. They've had now three top six picks. They've had countless first pound picks, countless early picks. It's amazing to me that they've had all of that to work with and they're still this kind of team. Like it's quite amazing. I don't know if you could have done a worse job building this team with what was at their disposal. I'm going to stand by that, but we'll move on. We're not talking about that type of stuff right now. And I know, Oh, he's such a hater. He's whining about the team. Oh no. Sorry for not praising this, this general manager. I'm so sorry. I apologize again and again and again, but Dose of reality is sometimes a good thing, and the Giants certainly need that as they head into this offseason when they're going to have to decide who's going to be the next general manager of this team, and they're going to have to decide if it's smart to go with Kevin Abrams or go with somebody from in-house or stick with somebody that Joe Judge likes or if it's a better idea maybe to go outside the organization and try to find a general manager who has a different point of view and a different way to maybe build a roster out that won't be this bad after four years of building. But anyway, let's get back into the game, Nick. Um, obviously, a little bit sidetracked, but uh, you, you led me into that one, Nick. So I, I, I know I'm, I'm the negative guy here on this pod, apparently. But that one I feel is a bit leading. So let's get back into the game. I want to talk about some things from that third drive I liked. I did like the fake push pass designed to the screen. Obviously, we talked a little bit about it earlier, but you showed the push pass earlier with Barkley. Now you show it again, but you fake it. You come to Booker on the screen. Of course, the timing is just terrible. The guards just can't block. Nobody can block. <laughs> I did like what I, what I really loved most about this drive, Nick. I want to get your take on this play. Third and six, the Miami 33 in the second quarter, the first play. I really like this designs by Freddie Kitchens here. He's got three ver or two verts and kind of a deeper curl on the right side out of that bunch and then or that stack. And then that kind of opens up on the left side. Kenny Galladay in a one-on-one route with the slant over the middle. Why do we talk about all year how we hate the four spacing concept sticks at the uh, four spacing concept routes that are run sticks, at, you know, run right at the sticks from Garrett? Well, because it doesn't really open up much space in the middle of the field. If they had ran you know, three stick routes or three curls on the other side. I don't know if this is open for Galladay, but because they ran verts on that side, it opens up the middle of the field for this slant. Really like that. 
Um, and then I want to talk about a play I don't like, but first I want to get a take, uh, get your take on those two plays I brought up. Yeah. So the first play I was going to ask you, I'm like, is it weird that I love a play design that netted negative one yards for the New York Giants. And that was the first play of the drive that you already broke down the screen with jet motion. You can see the Miami defense react to the jet motion, but it's just blocked up terribly. You already kind of went over all that. And then this third and sixth first play, this is the play that I believe in. Again, I'm not sure, but it appears that Mike Glennon could have got injured because he takes a helmet to helmet shot from Van Ginkle. This is man coverage. You know, it's going to be man coverage. It's a smart play design. As you said, from Freddie kitchens, not only to clear out just for the Kenny Galladay, uh, slant pass, but you also have Saquon Barkley release into the flat to clear out that middle hole defender. And then right. you also have a stick concept from the number three receiver who kind of works underneath both those clear outs. You have two options there with two players who are going to have leverage to the outside. Well, in Galladay's case, it's to the inside against man coverage. So I think that's a very, uh, just a nice play design by Freddie Kitchens. What else do you have on this drive? Yeah, you nailed that one, Nick. You did a great job breaking that down. I want to bring up the play on first and 10 at 1409 because this is something we've talked about a lot over the last few years on this podcast. A lot of, and I put this on Twitter earlier because it was something that I thought needed to be said. A lot of time we've spent over these last few years, Nick, talking about, you know, all these Giants coordinators, all these Giants coaches are doing a really bad job of utilizing Saquon Barkley in the passing game. But I always wondered when we said that, Nick, were we putting too much weight on just his overall speed, his acceleration in space, and his ability to cut as a runner? And were we not thinking enough about his route running and saying that, you know, he can be great at this. Why aren't the Giants using him like this? Because this play, first and 10, 14 and 9, quarter two, this is a horrific route by Saquon Barkley. This is not crisp at all. It doesn't look anything like the way McCaffrey runs it. It doesn't look anything like the way Kamara runs it. It doesn't look anything like the way the guys we want him to be utilized like in the passing game, the guys we thought he could be utilized in the passing game, run this route. It's a really lazy route. He doesn't create any separation. And then he drops it. It's a really good design by Kitchens to get him one-on-one. That's what you want. Breaking back to the inside. I've seen McCaffrey run this route a lot and then create and then get a 15 to 20 yard game because he's really good at running this route and creating separation. And he runs and, and the nuances of what you need to be a route runner and to be utilizing the passing game are there with him. But to run that poor of a route and then drop the ball after that, even though, again, it wasn't going to go for much if he catches that because he did not create the separation he should have with that route. It man, it makes me think like, no, maybe we were wrong. Maybe it's not the coach's fault. I mean, like you said earlier, Nick, they did a lot of different things in this game, Kitchens, to get Barkley the ball in space as a receiver. I think he had six catches for 17 yards. And that's not on the coach. That's on the player. It's most certainly on the player. My bigger gripe here, I don't believe that the route is as terrible as I think you do here. Uh, he's not Christian McCaffrey. Like we shouldn't compare him to Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey has much quicker feet and he's a much better, I think, athlete in short spaces than someone like Saquon Barkley. Love the play design. It's from a reduced stack, right? But what makes this break difficult for Saquon Barkley is the stem of the route, which is purposely angled outward because he lines up about the top of the numbers, right? And he stems outward towards about maybe four or five yards outside the numbers. So his hips are basically angled towards the sideline, and then he's tasked to cut back inside. Now, that's a little bit of a difficult ask for a player to quickly change direction, and the the, uh, objective here is to get the defender who's aligned on Saquon Barkley, which it does work, to flip his hips. And the defender does flip his hips. I think if Saquon Barkley catches this ball, he does have some momentum. He could get caught, and it might only be like a 10-yard gain. But I don't think this is as bad of a route as, as I think you do right now, personally. And I also kind of wish that maybe Freddie Kitchens had, if 
Saquon Barkley was the primary read here, which it seems like he was, had Kyle Rudolph just run a stick route and just stay at the far hash instead of breaking over the middle of the field. Because if Saquon Barkley did catch it and make his defender miss, then he would have had a lot more space between the covering defender of Kyle Rudolph. So that's that's my take on this play. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, look, we could we we're always gonna see plays differently. It's not necessarily as much that I mean that I think it, I actually do think it's a bad route. I was watching this a bunch of times. I think he's lazy getting into getting out of the break to start the route. And I don't like the the top of the route either. But the point is like, for me, it's like, if he's not that athlete and I agree, he's not the same. He doesn't have the same kind of quick feet as McCaffrey. He doesn't have the same kind of, uh, you know, what you said, agility in those tight spaces. Well, then he's not what we expect him to be in the passing game. There's different ways you can still utilize him. Like you can throw wheel routes to him. We saw him dominate a wheel route against the saints because he has that kind of build up speed and he has that kind of vertical spespeed. You can run him vertically up the seam. We saw that against the Washington football team a couple years back when Daniel Jones hit him on like a 50 yard touchdown. But as far as like the angle routes go, I don't know, man. It just doesn't, it didn't look at all like what he's supposed to build to be in the passing game. And what I always like, well, why don't we use him more like this? Well, if I'm a coach and I see that on film, I'm probably not coming back to that play. I'll be honest with you. Not with Barkley, at least. I think it's it's such a good play design though, too. And and you would expect an athlete like Saquon Barkley to run that. I, I can agree that it's, it's not the most crisp route. I don't think it's lazy. I just don't believe that he has the type of abilities of someone like Christian McCaffrey, even though he was drafted to obviously have those abilities, specifically in the short spaces. You get Saquon Barkley going with a full head of steam, good luck. He's one of the best athletes in terms of separating when he has a full head of steam moving forward vertically or even moving horizontally. But you get him chopping his feet and turning at tight 90-degree angles, that's not necessarily his game. Yeah, that's fair. I'll get to one more thing on this drive, and then I'm going to let you take over some things that you thought were interesting. Well, two more things. One thing would be the first and 10, uh, 7-0-7 in the second quarter. I can't imagine a team is worse than the Giants at the design play-action rollouts to the right. These are just never connected on. They're, oh, this one, Glennon's laid on. He gets his receiver almost decapitated. I think it was Slayton. Um, the one time this worked was last week when Jones like found Myrick late and it was just kind of pretty much a broken play. So that I think they should just eliminate from the playbook at this point here. Um, and then I'd also say this. Another thing I want to give Kitchen credit for, and we've given Kitchens a lot of credit on this podcast for a team that scored nine points. But again, nine points with Mike Glennon and the offensive line playing the way they were. And like you even mentioned earlier, some receiver drops. It's not terrible. It's actually pretty solid. And, and the film shows it. But he did a great job here mixing in tempo to get his run game going. The Giants can't generate a run game. They never generate a game under Garrett. They weren't generating a run game earlier in this game. So he's like, let's think of another way to do this. Let's use some tempo, but not like we typically use it in the passing game. Let's use it in the run game and see what happens. And he sparks off two really big gains by using tempo there, um, where it looks like they're two of the best blocked run plays of the season for the Giants with the tempo. So those are two things I thought of uh, in this game. What else would you uh, take away from this drive? Or did you want to add anything to those? I wanted to add something from the third drive, the third and 10, because it kind of goes to what I was saying a little bit earlier as to why this play ended up not being what could have been a touchdown pass to Darius Slayton on like a seven pivot routes, third and 10, 13, 21 for anybody who's following along in the second quarter. And this is where Saquon Barkley gets out schemed at two verse one. And there's really not much he can do. He takes Eric Rowe out of the play, but Javon Holland just nails Mike Lennon resulting in an incomplete pass. But if you look towards the left side of the screen on the end zone copy, you could see Van Ginkle and 55 Baker go to attack Will Hernandez and Billy Price. And then they just bail off. So now you have two blockers with, a five-man protection package blocking absolutely no one, dude. That's the kind of stuff that we need to see 
I think from good defensive coordinators, it's stuff that you see from Patrick Graham from time to time because he is a good defensive coordinator. And there's not a lot the Giants can do to block this up, despite the fact that they have what I think seven guys in, in to protect, man. And it's it's tough for the offense to to know who exactly is coming because it's disguised so well by Brian Flores. And I just got to tip my cap to the Miami Dolphins there. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I thought Clinton wasn't great on this either. But again, he's rattled at this point. I get it. Maybe he's playing concussed, which is crazy to even think about. Um, And for the rest of the game, I did jump ahead. My notes are not drive by drive, Nick. So I'm probably just going to do it by the timestamps of the game. So we can kind of get into it that way. It might, might be easier for me to stay on, on track here. Um, So I did jump ahead and, and get to that next drive because they obviously missed that third and 10. What What was your thoughts on the drive after that? On the fourth drive, the first play I want to bring up, because you already talked about the those runs from from Saquon Barkley, I, I felt like the tempo was was awesome there. And also the, the split, because a lot of them were split zone where you have the H-back kind of coming across the formation and then the handoff happens. Well, if you look at the second level defenders, Eric Rowe is one of them on one, and I think Baker is one on, the, on another. They both hold and wait to see what that H-back is doing coming across the formation. And he's just kicking out the end man on the line of scrimmage. That's all he's doing. But the fact that they were held, this allows them from locating Saquon Barkley, who's breaking off to the outside and Devontae Booker. So I felt like that little, um, I don't even want to say wrinkle because it's something the Giants do quite often, but that had an effect on the Miami Dolphins' second-level defenders. And then just to touch on one play I wanted to bring up, get your take on as well, 6-19, quarter two, third and nine. I felt like this was a really good play from Mike Glennon and Evan Ingram. You're right, man. Freddie Kitchens used Evan Ingram so much better than Jason Garrett was using him. But this is one where the Miami Dolphins blitzed. Go figure. They send six in on... I believe it might be five with just stunts in on Mike Glennon. Mike Glennon's kind of has to bail the pocket a little bit. He throws off his back foot, but he has two guys who are about to hit him. He throws, again, Evan Ingram open with anticipation. Evan Ingram runs a good route, kind of turns through some contact and makes a catch to convert this third and nine. I felt like yeah. that was an excellent play from Ingram and Mike Glennon there. Really good play from both of those two, Ingram and Glennon. Again, just it's kind of was a little eye-opening to me to see some more anticipatory throws from Glennon in a game than jo- than Jones. And it's just it's something that needs to change. Like if I'm going to buy into Jones, I need to see more anticipatory throwing because we know he doesn't throw well on the run. We know that he doesn't have the greatest uh, arm talent. That these are just facts. It's fine. It's capable of arm talent, but throwing on the run thing is really bad. Um, it's, it's not good yeah. at all. It needs to improve. And then the first and 10, 548 left in the second, man. Again, man, my biggest gripe with Saquon Barkley in the passing game is catch the damn football, yep. dude. This is another well-designed play by Freddie Kitchens where it's man coverage. You know it's man coverage, and you release both of your receivers to the field because it's a two-receiver set and a double Y set to the boundary. You release them both vertical, right? And then you just release Saquon Barkley on a play action through the A-gap and right where the vertical just cleared out that entire side of the field. And he beats his linebacker. If he catches this football, this could go for 30 yards. It could go for a lot yep. more if those receivers end up blocking. And he just drops it, dude. Like, obviously the Giants suck, man. And I'm not making any excuses. But if the execution was better in this game, dude, and we can say this almost every week with every NFL team, but if the execution was better here with just simple things like holding on to the football, mm-hmm. the Giants may have won this football game, which is I know. disgusting to say. Despite the fact that Mike Glennon was like probably playing this game, half this game with a concussion. Like, it's just like, it's crazy. Like the execution is terrible. There's drops. There's really bad miscommunications in the, in the protection game. 
At some point, though, like who does the blame for that go on? Like we talked about Rob Sale. He probably deserves some of the blame. Like Sale's probably not doing that good of a job here um, if this is the case. But also the coach, man. It's the head coach. Get your damn team in sync. Get them on the right page. Stop having them so confused that they need to call timeouts in this game. Stop having them, what are we? Where are we at? We're so out of sync on every single screen pass where it looks like just we didn't practice this at all. Like, come on. Like this is your job. This team needs to be much better at some of the most common easy things and if they're not why the hell am i supposed to want this guy back as head coach for next year i don't understand it i don't understand why anyone any of us are supposed to really like is it just because we well he dealt with all these injuries he had to deal with jason garrett because when we start to do that stuff and it's kind of like gets into the jones game too with me nick it's like when your only pros are just the excuses of things that aren't there for the person, that's just not enough for me, man. Uh, the pros can't, the pro side of it can't just be, well, he didn't have this, he didn't have this, he didn't have this. It's excuse, 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 excuse. It has to be, he's doing this right, he's doing that right, he's doing that right. So because he's doing those things right, we can give him these excuses or something like that, or we can make up for those things he's doing wrong because of X and X and X. But there needs to be a good side of this for all of these people. It can't just be, oh, excuse, 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 at least for me, man. But we'll see. There's still so much time to see what happens with Judge and talk about that. Obviously, I want to talk a little bit about the third quarter offense as well. Some things that I noticed, some things I wanted to get your take on here. One thing I want to get your take on was the second and nine with 10.04 to go. I know we're jumping around a bit, but just kind of looking through my notes. Is this just the biggest, this to me is like the biggest microcosm of the Giants season. I mentioned this earlier, but he got three players running routes on this and Glennon doesn't even get like 1.3 seconds of pass protection. He can't even hit his back foot and throw from a balanced face. Like why are the Giants so bad even when they're basically using max protect at protecting the quarterback? I don't get it. Yeah, 1043 in the third, Dan. But uh, Mike Glennon almost threw an interception. This was a bad decision by Glennon. But the Dolphins come out in a tight front, man, and the Giants are in double Y set, 12 personnel. And literally, it's just Matt Skura getting beat really badly by number 92 right at the snap, lets him right inside. It seems like everybody else kind of holds up in protection. You even have Evan Ingram, who kind of gets Van Ginkle on the ground, a really nice pass blocking rep from Evan Ingram there. The Giants have both Evan Ingram and Kyle Rudolph blocking. So this is another one where it's basically max protect. You have Saquon Barkley leak out. But all it takes is one player to mess up, man. And Matt Skura is a player to mess up. And I believe this was his last drive. Ben Bredesen ended up coming in. He played better than Skura. It wasn't perfect. He had a couple run blocking reps, Ben Bredesen, that I felt like were above average and, and good to see. Definitely better than Matt Skura in pass as well. He also had a couple mistakes here and there too. I also like the first drive of the third quarter as well, Dan. I mean, they start with a hard outside zone play action fake with the with uh, Kyle Rudolph who holds his block and then releases, catches the football and gets a nice 11 yard gain there to start to drive coming out of the half. And you could tell Kitchens, he try, was trying different things on this opening second half drive, started his run game off with a counter run, something we haven't seen all that much this season. It was a nice counter. I didn't really do too well with the counter, but I do like the fact that they're trying different things against a Dolphins defense that is kind of stymieing the rushing attack a lot of the times. And this was the the drive where they were using tempo to spring the 17-yard rush by Devontae Booker and the 23-yard run by Saquon Barkley off of the split action, which held the players like we talked about about five to 10 minutes ago. So I, I felt like in general, Freddie Kitchens was using different approaches here, whether it was varying tempo or just using different running styles to try to get an advantage on what the Miami Dolphins were doing against the Giants here. Yeah, you broke that down perfectly. And I think this is, once again, it touches on some of the things Kitchens did well. It's not going to look 
on paper on the box score, like a good game from offensive play caller Freddie Kitchens. But the film speaks for itself. He had a really good game, I thought, especially given all the circumstances, especially what we've seen from Garrett in the past and what we've heard excuses for. Well, he didn't use the excuses. I mean, he did his best in my mind to je- to call a game that can generate offense. It's not his fault. The execution was this bad, at least not in my mind. One play I want to get your you take. On. Okay, go uh, ahead. I was going to wonder, are you going to bring up the, the third and 10, 12, 31? I felt like this was a uh, really good play design. In Q4? To Evan Ingram. In, in uh, no, in quarter? Q3. Oh, in the third quarter. No, yeah, third uh, quarter. I actually jumped around and passed that, but you can break that one down. Yeah, this is a really good play design. Again, you know the the Dolphins like to run man coverage. Well, they do more of a zone coverage here, but it still gets a free release for Kenny Galladay because they line up in a two-by-two two set with the two receivers to the, I guess you could say field side because the ball's a little bit shaded. It's not on either hash. It's in the middle of the field. But you have a stack with Evan Ingram and Kenny Galladay. You motion Kenny Galladay into the stack as his second receiver off the line of scrimmage, and he darts on a drag underneath, and he's wide open for a little while. But Mike Glennon doesn't throw it to him because he sees Evan Ingram run just an absolutely crazy crisp route. And I know this is Evan Ingram against number 40. He kind of fires his feet up the stem by about five yards and gets inside, makes a catch right between the cornerback, the linebacker, and then the safety driving downhill. Just a beautiful play by Evan Ingram. He even picks up a couple extra yards after the catch gets 17 in total. And I think that was a really good play design to gain an advantage towards that side of the field because the coverage seemed kind of um, sparse, I guess you could say, towards that side of the field. Either Kenny Galladay or Evan Ingram were going to be open. And then on the other side of the field, you just had two vertical concepts. One was a deep comeback. The other one was a slot seam. And then Evan Ingram just ended up getting open. No, I was really impressed with Evan Ingram in this game, and I loved his utilization here. And again, the pass protection on this play wasn't exactly excellent. Nate Solder kind of gets beat, and then Billy Price fails to uh, pick up a stunt. Yeah, and I think you and me probably are on the same page as far as Ingram goes with, these, with, the, with from the sense of like, neither of us probably want them to re-sign him anyway. Uh, they obviously yeah. won't have the cap space to do it because of what, I'm not going to get into it, but because of the situation that they put themselves in from that standpoint. But I still don't think even if they did, we would want him back. We still think this is just not enough of a sample size of like elite or the play we want to see. And again, just he hurts them in the blocking game. He really doesn't offer much on the field, but this is a good, at least example, this game of like what he can be if he was utilized better. Like why does it take this many coaching staffs and why does it take this long to understand that this is how you have to utilize him out in a much different way than we saw from these other coaches with the exception of Shermer, who I thought did a good job of utilizing him. Um, but, you know, it's a little bit frustrating to me just when these coaches just, you know, can't get the most out of these talents, regardless of what their actual ceiling is. Like neither of us, neither me or nor you think Evan Ingram is some unbelievable NFL tight end that's going to be one of the best three in the NFL like he was drafted to be once he goes to another team. We're not on that page, but we know they could have got more out of him and they didn't. And ultimately, that's going to be his Giants career. In my mind, that's going to be the narrative that I'll remember. Um, one play I wanted to go over with you, Nick, jumping around a little bit. It's. The third quarter, 737 left. So it's a third and 10 situation here. And this to me was a really good example of the ceiling for a player and a receiver like Darius Slayton. Darius Slayton runs a really, really good route. This is going to be featured in my route of the game uh, when we go over that. He has really good speed release first, like a soft press here. And then just does a really good break at the top of his route. That's what really stands out to me. How, the separation he creates at the top of his route. He plants, he drives off the inside foot, 
The ball's a little high. It's a little behind him, and it's a little too hot from Glennon. Obviously, partially that is the protection's no good. Once again, somehow a looping stunt gets just cleanly into the Giants' backfield. The looping stunts are just unbelievable. This offensive, this interior offensive line's <laughs> inability to pick up stunts and loops is just it's beyond comprehension at this point. But I just wanted to point this one out, Nick, and noted and wanted to uh, see if you noticed this because we don't give a lot of kudos to Slayton. A lot of people hate on Darius Slayton, but I thought he did a really good job on this route. Yeah, the, the fact that people like built up Billy Price as like a, a, a good center, and I kind of bought into the whole like, hey, he's coming back from an injury, he's having a good camp. Let's see where this is going to go. He he was a big culprit as to why a lot of these stunts got through, and he got beat bad on this play. And Mike Glennon ends up kind of taking a shot as he releases this football, which throws off the entire play. I still think Darius Slayton has to catch this football. Good receivers catch this football, but in terms of the route, this is a absolute crisp route break from Darius Slayton. And he just kind of look at it, man. At the time he turns to find the football, the football's coming at him. He has almost five yards of separation on the cornerback who is in tight man coverage. This is a phenomenal break by Darius Slayton. You're right. But again, good receivers catch the football here. Wasn't an easy play, very makeable play. So I have to knock him for that. Fair enough. I, I'm going to give him the credit instead for the route run, but I can see it's just like a funny, you know, uh, debate or not a debate, but just like how two people see a play differently. Like, I, and you're right. Like he should, probably should catch this ball, but I don't think it was a great ball. I don't know. I just, I, I'm more, I'm more focused on the route because it was a nice job to create separation. I thought, um, let's job. see what else, what else stood out to you in this game from, uh, you know, from that mid third quarter point on. Oh yeah. We have to talk about the most frustrating part of this game and that was the seventh drive it started at 557 but i want to break down the second down and then the third down now this was the drive where joe judge punted on a fourth and two in miami territory and that's after second being and third and two by the way nick i want to point that out yes. he got it to a third and two and then and instead of resulting in a drive continuation it results in a punt that was touchback but go on of course and it also comes down to execution as well on that third and two but on the second and ten man i felt like mike glenn did an excellent job disguising the coverage because pre-snap you have the boundary cornerback who is all up in the grill of Kenny Galladay and the Giants are just going to run a simple slant flat to that side but right before the snap Xavier Howard bails right and this is a slant flat combination slant from the number one number two is going to run the flat so once Howard bails Kenny Galladay runs a nice slant to kind of pick the linebacker who's on Devontae Booker and Devontae Booker catches his football in the flat with like you know, seven, eight, nine yards of separation ends up picking up eight yards here. The pass could have been a little bit better. He threw it to his upfield shoulder where Devontae Booker uh, was looking over his outside shoulder. And if this ball was more on target, this is probably a first down. So let's keep that in mind. That yeah. sets up the third and two, right? Good play. You know, you pick up a good chunk, eight yards there. The third and two is another very interesting play by the New York Giants where the Giants line up two by two with that stack by the numbers. And the Dolphins are in just pure man coverage here. They're going to send the blitz. It's cover zero. There is no safety. And they send a house at Mike Glennon. And Evan Ingram is open, man. The There is some sort of mix up between Eric Rowe and number yep. 40 because of the release, because both of these guys from the stack release and they're kind of following each other. Saquon Barkley is right off the ass of Evan Ingram. Saquon Barkley cuts inside. Evan Ingram runs kind of a deep corner route and nobody takes Evan Ingram. 40 realizes it late and he kind of sinks underneath. And the thing here, and I don't know who to blame because the ball placement isn't great, but Evan Ingram initially out of the break turns over his outside shoulder. And that's when Mike Glennon throws the football. But kind of right. inexplicably, Evan Ingram turns his head back inside and the ball's already heading outside at that point. And then I feel like if Evan Ingram just kept his head outside, this could have been a touchdown here. Yeah. I don't know. 
I don't fully know if, if it's Evan Ingram to blame. I don't know if like there's something in this play to be like, okay, it's always, it's going to be over the inside shoulder after the break or what. If I had to assign blame, it probably would be Evan Ingram here. But this was another missed opportunity. I, obviously, Mike Glennon's under incredible pressure here. And again, execution. If this is caught, if this ball is placed well, if they are in sync with each other, this could be a touchdown. Like the Giants could, like I said, man, it's crazy because I don't think they deserved it, but the Giants could have won this football game, man, if if the execution just didn't suck so bad. And I almost don't think they didn't deserve it. Like, I think a case can be made they did deserve it. It was a really well-called game, in my opinion, by Kitchens. Mm. And like like you said, there are a lot of these opportunities, and the defense played really good football. It didn't really give up m- much in this game, which we'll get to I'm on refer- the next one. Yeah, I'm referring to like just the cowardly play calling of Joe Judge. And oh, like yeah. Just- that kind of stuff. More that's so. just how it's going to be with this team mm-hmm. as long as he's here. I don't, you know, because, you know, we'll get to it later. But people, I've seen some uh, some people call. It's not really some people. So I want to make this clear. It's like one of every 99 people. Because I, I I tweeted out the cowardly index thing. Now Judge owns three of the most cowardly punts since 1999. And someone's like, cowardly? You're a clown. You're a clown to think that he can trust his offense to get this conversion instead of punting to try to get field position. Well, guess what? On fourth and two, when they were down 17-6 and their only option was to go for it, they converted a fourth and two because it's just two yards. It's not hard to convert. It's a very easy play to convert. It's easy enough when you're going for two point and the field's condensed because you got the back of the end zone. It's much easier when you're anywhere else on the field, like the 48, the 43, the 42, and you have the whole field in front of you and you can run a variety of plays. Oh, and guess what? The worst case scenario you miss it is not even that bad, especially if you trust your defense. So beyond comprehension that people think that, but just to throw that cold water on that argument and that narrative that you can't trust your offense, you can't trust your blah, 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 so you can't go for it. Well, they did have to go for it on fourth and two from the Miami 38 when they were already down 17-6, and they converted. So you know what? You can convert this. Wake up. Wake up to the fact that this is how you win football games, by not playing field position, by trying to score points. Wake the hell up because that's what the good teams are doing. And stop. Let's not sit back and just try to be these contrarian guys. Well, we can win anyway. You know, you know, it's field position work still, whatever. No, think about the teams that win. Like, come on. Like, even Bill Belichick is not like that. Even in a game last night where, you know, he, the win was so bad. Do you think if we were in that game, Nick, the Bills, Patriots, Judge would have ever had the goal and would have ever had the forward thinking to go for that two-point conversion on that first touchdown because that ultimately is a big reason why the Patriots won that football game because Belichick went for the two-point conversion instead of kicking a short field goal while going into that win, which later on we saw when the Bills were down 14-10. They tried a field goal, which was essentially an extra point. I should say instead of uh, Belichick kicking the extra point, which was essentially the same distance as an extra point, and they missed it, the Bills, which made it harder on the next drive because they had to score a touchdown instead of a field goal. And so that two-point conversion was basically a massive difference maker in that game. And I, I'll be honest with you, I don't think there's even a chance in hell Joe Judge would have went for that too. Nah, he probably wouldn't have. Yeah, so just just you know, just think about that whenever you say your thing, whenever you defend this type of coaching, just think about it a little bit more, I would say. But you brought that up. That's kind of that was to me like a big turning point in the game, too, because you know, you have these future play like the second and seven with the third quarter winding down 250. Obviously, it was a good design. You can maybe go over this one to get Ross free crossing in space. I thought this one could have been a really good big gain if Glennon doesn't throw this so off target. Uh, did you think that that was really good design, or do you think that was more of just a lapse in coverage on that play? The John no, it, was, it was an excellent design. I mean, you had a reduced bunch, and you motion Saquon Barkley to the reduced bunch from a split-back formation kind of commutes. Uh, might force communication issues. You see a lot of the 
the defense kind of communicating right before the snap, especially that linebacker, because you have the will kind of down on Devontae Booker uh, towards the uh, boundary side. And then when Saquon Barkley goes to the field side bunch, that linebacker starts kind of freaking out and they play inside out on Saquon Barkley. There's double covering Saquon Barkley here and nobody's in the middle of the field because the safety is about 30 yards off the line of scrimmage. So John Ross releases underneath a pick from Evan Ingram, who's just releasing inside vertically through the inside shoulder of Eric Rowe. That's on purpose because now John Ross is going to go underneath that and Xavier Howard cannot work over the top three players because you have the guy who's playing outside of Saquon Barkley, Evan Ingram, and then the cornerback who's on Evan Ingram all in that area. You have a free release for John Ross, one of the fastest guys in the NFL. And Mike Glennon, man, just inexplicably misses this dude. He doesn't get his hips and his feet oriented towards a target. He kind of just tries to fire it in there. And he actually has a pocket here. I mean, Ben Bredesen does a good job. Well, he gets a bad job allowing the defender to get to the half man, but he does a good job not allowing the defender to turn the corner. And he kind of just washes him out of the pocket there. I thought that was a pretty solid recovery from Bredesen. Just a terrible miss by Glennon. And again, execution, bro. Yep. You nailed it. And that's just, you know, the, the story of this game, at least just unbelievably poor execution on offense. And again, I stand by it. That's coaching base. That's in large part coaching base. You've got to get these guys prepared. You have to get them sync in sync and practice. It has to be more crisp looking than that. That's all I have from the plays that stood out to me. Do you want to touch on any other ones before we get into some superlatives? Yeah, the third and seven, the next very next play after the John Ross incompletion, the Giants decided to run the football. And we've talked about this before. We like this because it's unconventional. It's not predictable. And it actually caught Miami napping, especially because Miami likes to blitz. And guess what? They blitzed. They sent a lot of people and they ran away from the blitz. So they didn't have to block two defenders. Javon Holland was on the opposite or was on the same side as Saquon Barkley, as was the end man on the line of scrimmage there. And they both come and neither, no giant has to block them because the handoff is going across the formation. So Andrew Thomas, all he has to do is kick out Jalen Phillips and Ben Bredesen does a great job kind of bullying number 40. And I actually thought there were two plays here and we don't praise Saquon Barkley a lot where Saquon Barkley found the hole and hit it very decisively. This is actually one of them, man. You can see there's not a lot of space between 70 and 40, but 70 is to the inside of Billy Price there. And then you have 40 who's kind of just getting dominated by Ben Bredesen and Saquon Barkley kind of anticipates this hole developing. He anticipates it and then he hits it, gets skinny. And then he does some weird jump twirl thing that was completely unnecessary, but you know what? The Giants ended up picking up the first down. So I got to applaud Saquon there. I'm so glad you brought that up, Nick, because I think it really um, kind of leads us to a larger point when it comes to Saquon Barkley. That play, you could see it clear as day when you watch the film. If anyone takes a look at it and Nick called out the timestamp, they'll know exactly what we're talking about. That's the type of play where you see Barkley look like a Nick Chubb, Barkley look like a Jonathan Taylor, the really good backs, the Dalvin Cooks, the actual best backs in the NFL. From a processing standpoint, from anticipating the hole, like Nick says, but that's one play, you know, and there was one other you mentioned, and Those guys, they do it every play. I mean, those guys do it 90% of their plays. And that's why those guys are the really good backs in the NFL. And we're now year four with Barkley, and he's not doing it every play. He's not doing it even 25% of the plays, even 50% of the plays. And you get to the point where you're like, well, this is like, there were reasons that me and you hated the Barkley pick. Neither of us would have even considered drafting Barkley at second overall. We were both very strong in that regard. We were the two people yelling at our friends for liking the pick. That's how much me and you didn't like it, Nick. But I'll say this, man. I never, ever thought that I wouldn't like this pick because of who he was as a player. I thought I wouldn't like this pick because of all the other reasons. Running backs don't, don't make run games and running. You need an offensive line for in general. You know, two shelf life, three injuries, all of the factors that lead you to never want to take a running back that high. 
But, you know, I'm starting to think it's not just that. It's that this is just somehow a misevaluation. It's kind of like the Hernandez miss, the Lorenzo Carter miss, all of these misses that we thought would maybe be hits from at least just a pure production standpoint, like taking out the position value and everything else, all the rest of the argument with Barkley at two. It's crazy, but he's just not that good of a running back. He's a great athlete. He's just not that good of a running back. If we're going to be just honest on what we see on the film, like the fact that you brought this up, these other guys make that look routine, Nick, like these Chubbs, these, these tailors, they make that look routine. They do. They do. And I don't think he's a bad running back. And I don't think you do either. I just think a lot of people expect Saquon Barkley when, when you're talking about the best players in the NFL at the running back position, his name always gets thrown out there. That's to me, that's false. He, he shouldn't be considered with the Nick Chubbs and the Dalvin cooks and the Christian McCaffrey's of the world. I think he's a, uh, and don't you dare leave out Jonathan Taylor, Jonathan Taylor, you know me, bro. I'm a huge John. I text you almost every Sunday. Like dude, that good. Ridiculously Wisconsin good. baby. Yeah. And we got another one coming up by the way, Braylon Allen, keep an eye out. <laughs> okay, I will. Jonathan Taylor, he's he's unreal. And he has similar, if not more, athletic ability than Saquon Barkley, which is kind of ridiculous to think about, especially now that Saquon has suffered the injuries that he's endured throughout his career, which I do believe kind of play into this as well. But I don't think he's a just, you know, a, a marginal or a solid running back. I still think he has the ability to be a good running back, but that's mostly because of his athletic ability. And, and the Giants haven't found Agreed. a way to to maximize that yet. And that, that's kind of my biggest issue. It's, it's, you it's part of Giant. It's also Saquon. It's also injuries. And again, just to go back to the original thing you brought up, yes, I, I would my friends still laugh at me to this day because I was like, they were like, dude, this guy's awesome. I'm like, bro, you don't understand. You don't build a team like this. This is terrible, cowardly. I called it a cowardly pick by Dave Gettleman. I, I that, that 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 was the way I described it back in 2018. Yeah, I I I was so such a denier, like I, I made the same case you made to a lot of people, and I convinced a lot of people. I remember speaking to some of my dad's friends. Or, uh, you know, There was an event around the time of that draft, and we all met up family and friends. And I remember convincing a lot of people on why you can't go running back there um, and so why you can't go Barkley. But I'll be honest with you, man. I never, ever thought they were going to do it. I was, I was blocking it out in my head as if I was like, they cannot be stupid enough to take a running back at two. That's how I felt about it going to until I heard his name called. I was really, and it really shocked me. And I guess I shouldn't have been yeah. shocked because Dave Gettleman spoke so poetically about him. He he also made it clear he doesn't believe in positional value, Gettleman. He also made it clear he doesn't believe in short shelf lights. Remember, he said something before that, like, look at Jonathan Stewart. Jonathan Stewart's still running really well at his old age. Well, that one obviously wasn't true and didn't work out. I mean, this guy's just a total. You look back at the things he said and what's actually happened. It's it's unbelievable the inco- the level of incompetence that he's he's displayed but but i yeah. mean i just never thought it would happen i never thought they'd take barkley there i expected it to happen mainly because okay. i watched dave gettleman select christian mccaffrey in the top 10 the previous year so i expected it to, to happen but there was a part of me like yo sam Darnold wasn't picked man there's gonna be general managers calling you know trying to trade up with the new york giants and then when i heard that the guy didn't even attempt to answer the phone i was like bro that is such a, a terrible way to go about business. You have no idea what people would have offered to select Sam Darnold, who everyone was clamoring over at that time, which seems ridiculous now, but that was the way it happened. Baker Mayfield was a surprise first overall right. pick. I mean, we can host a whole podcast on this. We should probably get back to the film, but yeah, dude, I, uh, it was, um, yeah, let's dive back into the film. I, I got, that's it for me on the plays. Anything else stand out to you before we get into superlatives? 
Yeah, I just want to bring up uh, – I know we're probably going to talk about Will Hernandez in the superlatives, sure. but the very next play after that Saquon Barkley rush that we liked, because the Giants, man, this is a 10-6 game. The Giants have momentum right now. They're picking up first downs. They just picked up a first down with an unconventional run call on a third and seven. And then Mike Lennon gets sacked for a loss of 13 yards on one of those play-action rollouts. It's more of like a, a sprint-out type of thing, but it was one of those plays that we've seen Daniel Jones where they roll out to the right, and then they set their feet and throw back to the left. That's very difficult. I don't know if I love that play call there from Freddie. Yeah. In against man coverage, you expect your receiver, who I believe is Darius Slayton, to separate man coverage. And you, you, if you manipulate that safety enough, you can have him running across the field. Mike Lennon is so slow kind of to set up here. And that's just not Mike Lennon's game. It's kind of... um you know, difficult to ask him to do so. And especially when you have Will Hernandez, who's the guy kind of kicking out to isolate Jalen Phillips. And Will Hernandez does such a terrible job, man. He sets way to the outside and allows Jalen Phillips to just cut inside. Like this guy has no spatial awareness at all. And this is when Glennon gets sacked. And then the Giants call the timeout, despite the fact that it's second and 23, backed up in their own end after the sack. And then they get sacked on the very next play. And that was more of a coverage sack. Jalen Phillips ends up beating Andrew Thomas, but Mike Glennon sat back there for far too long. He probably could have got rid of the football at that point. He just didn't. And there wasn't a lot open either. It's just a terrible sequence for Joe Judge from the Giants protection and just from, you know, the Giants overall, which, you know, it seems like we're used to saying at this point, bro. Unfortunately. And I got a couple things I want to mention about that. First, I want to say this kudos to you, Nick. You were really, really early on Jalen Phillips in the last draft class. Um, if you, those of you who listened to us for the last year, will probably already know this. Otherwise, you guys can go back for proof. Look at some of our early draft podcasts. Nick was saying Jalen Phillips edge one right away. And Nick was a big fan of Phillips when he was talking about a second rounder. Ultimately ends up being a first rounder. And he looked great on film to me. I just wanted to point that out and get your take on that. I thought this kid looked really freaking good. Ah, he's amazing, dude. I, I had a like a I had a draft crush on him, and this is somebody who was highly recruited out of high school, so it's an easier person to bank on if we're going to be fair. But if you just watched his tape at Miami, you can see how much further along he was than someone like Gregory Rousseau, who opted out of that season. Rousseau was a great player in his own right, but you could just see the nuance and, and the and mainly the hand usage. Combine that with that just unique length, that unique height and the athletic ability. And you know, he's going to turn into a player if he could stay healthy and he stayed healthy so far this season. He's having a damn good year. Yeah. I think he's up to like eight and a half sacks. Is that right? Is it six and a half? I think it's eight and a half. So he's, and it's the pressures too. And it's just, it's the film. Like you watch him in a game like this, when you're, like I said, we get a chance to watch like 16 team, not 16. <laughs> so there's 17 games and four of them are against the same team. So we get a chance to watch what? 13 different teams 13. a year. Um, and man, you could just see it. This guy, this kid's going to get it. And then the other thing you said on Hernandez, man, how many times we brought him up already in this podcast, we're going to get to the pro days. We're going to talk about all these bad plays, but I'm at the point right now, Nick, where I have no interest in resigning Hernandez, despite the fact that they don't have anything else at guard that I can look forward to at all for the 2021 two season, except for, I guess, Bredesen, who I don't like, but they freaking traded a top 110 pick for him before the season, which is just a annoying as hell to be completely honest with you i don't really see anything i like at guard and i still don't want to resign the guy it's crazy i'm not writing bredesen off just yet i like the fact that they actually have him on the roster right now he's not somebody i want to bank on i don't think he's a huge difference maker but i think he's someone who possibly could be good enough to to be a <laughs> slightly above replacement level player with potential but he better be well. right nick because they yeah, traded yeah. what's going to result in a top 100 pick to him to get him yeah and the way i'm looking at it is is there a player at guard that would be as good as ben bredesen right. in the top 110 and i'm not 100% certain of that quite yet we'll get there but uh you know i i feel a little bit more comfortable with with him being here 
and yeah. letting Will Hernandez out the door. Because then you're still going to have Shane Lemieux coming back, which the Giants will probably bank on. But all in all, they need to invest capital in both guard positions and the center because you don't know when Nick Gates is going to be back. Hopefully he can come back next season because he's very, very valuable and much better than anything they have out there in the interior yeah. offensive line. Like much better. And he's still not, I would say, you know, a, a great player. I think he's slightly above average to average, but he's uh, – just such an important piece to what the Giants want to do. And that says a lot about the current state of the offensive line. It also says a lot about what we've discussed in the past regarding offensive line play. So one more 30,000 foot few uh, point to make is that, you know, we both agree that you know, he's not some kind of all pro center for them, but he's above average, like you just said. And this kind of goes into what we've heard before in the past from a lot of offensive line gurus and people we speak to about general offensive line play and NFL roster building. It's better to just not have these unbelievably bad guys than, than to just have a, you're better off having no massive weak links than having, you know, these elite level players because the difference between Gates and what we're getting from the, and, and, and you know, difference between Gates and Zeitler at center and right guard like we had last year versus what we've had this year with Price and Hernandez or even Price and Skura if you go to the other side, it's night and day. I mean, even the Price, even Skura versus Lemieux in some, in a lot of ways is night and day because Lemieux is actually pretty damn good in the run game, which Skura doesn't do well at all. And so, like, it just goes to show, man, like, they got to make sure they don't have any weak links going into the season next year. It's going to be tough. They somehow have to fill four starting positions if Gates can't come back healthy off that off that really bad injury. But I don't know how they're going to do it, Nick, but they have to figure something out because otherwise there just seems like no hope if they don't find at least three starters on this line that that are, like I said, they don't have to be amazing. They don't have to find three Andrew Thomases, but they got to find three Nick Gateses. What I will say is they're going to be looking for a new general manager, and we don't have to go down that rabbit hole right now. The Giants' job may be appetizing. We could do a whole podcast on this just because the Giants are willing to spend money. They they, they are not shy with that, the Maras and the Tishes. And there are two first-round picks in this draft. And it is in New York, one of the staples of the NFL. So I hope possibly this job will be appetizing to, to future potential general managers. Also, they have a lot of solid pieces, but the cap space situation is something that is a deterrent, certainly. Yeah, I mean, it's the Giants. It should be a decent landing spot for most general managers if, you know, just given their history for Super Bowls, an owner who's willing to spend all the time and never going to underspend, um, you know, if they are willing to look outside the organization. That's something we haven't seen them be willing to do yet. Um, really, it was a it was a bit of a sham search with Ernie Accorsi. They brought a Accorsi in, ended up hiring Gettleman anyway, who he has a relationship with and who the Giants had a long relationship with. So we'll see what happens with this next GM search. Coming the offseason, let's get to some some superlatives. We'll start with the most unheralded player on film. I have a pretty sure, like I mentioned in the reaction pod, Nick, it's going to be the same player for us, and there's really not anyone else to even consider. So who's your guy? It's Evan Ingram. He had a really good game from a route running perspective. He made contested catches. He made really difficult catches in high leverage situations, something that isn't overly common with Evan Ingram's game. So it's Evan Ingram. Yeah, you nailed it. You Broke that down so well. That's not common with this game, and it was common in this game film. So easily Ingram for me. What's the best route run you got? For me, it's that third and 10, 12, 31 in quarter three, Evan Ingram slant that we broke down where he kind of releases off the line of scrimmage, skip release, fires his feet, releases inside, presents his chest, catches the football in between three defenders. So that would be the best route for me. I'm going to go with the uh, Darius Slayton route I broke down earlier where he, you know, kind of beats that soft press and then has a really nice uh, top of the stem where he just creates separation. How about the best throw you saw on film? Yeah, there are a couple actually pretty solid throws from Mike Glennon. There are a couple that uh, come to my mind. I'm probably going to go with the third and 11 throw to Evan Ingram. It went for 18 yards. We broke it down. He just ran basically like a 
you know, 15 yard curl and Glennon kind of threaded the needle right over the top of a underneath defender's hands. And I felt like it had good velocity and it was a solid throw from Mike Glennon, but there were a few others that I feel like we could also mention, which is surprising because I don't come away from this game thinking Glennon played well. Yeah, that's exactly right. More big time throws than you than we're used to with this offense, but he still didn't play well. And that would be my, my take as well. Uh, that would be my pick as well. How about the best play call you saw? I also think the second and 12, 329 and quarter one back shoulder throw to Kenny Galladay can definitely be mentioned because that was a really nice timing rhythm throw to the back shoulder of Kenny Galladay with a leverage defender inside. So it was good. Uh, I guess you could say passing from Glennon there. And the best play call, I would say, was that second and seven, quarter three, 250 left against man coverage. The bunch we broke down with John Ross doing the drag, Evan Ingram kind of creating a lot of traffic to pick Xavier Howard from, from getting over the top. I felt like that was a really good play call from Freddie Kitchens against the defense that Brian Flores employed. Yeah, I'm going to go with, um, even though, again, it didn't work, the play call where he early in the game shows the push pass with Barkley coming in jet motion, then fakes a push pass to the throwback screen. It's kind of like a play like I, that I liked a lot from last week where they did the flea flicker into the tight end screen. To me, this play should work if it's just executed well. And if it does, it's a really nice, easy gain. And it's a decent size gain, too. So I'm going to go with that one. Who was the best player overall on film for you? Andrew Thomas, man. I mean, Andrew Thomas is just, every week he's... He, you rarely even notice him because he's doing yep. so well, which is that's what I want to see. Now I pay attention to his game and I can see that he's just not getting beat. There are times where he allows people to kind of beat him around the shoulder, but it's after he gives them a hassle. He at least gives the quarterback an opportunity to throw the football. And I don't think we just think Andrew Thomas is good because he's surrounded with just absolute mediocrity. I actually believe that Andrew Thomas has developed himself in this second season into a really good starting tackle. Well said, and I completely agree. It's not just because there's so much bad around him. He's developed into a really good starting tackle, and he's cleaned up all the things that made him a bad tackle in his rookie season really fast. Like, he's done a really good job. I don't know if that's kudos to the coaching. I'd probably, if I had to guess, say it's kudos to him and what he's done and the work he's done to become the player he's become. And honestly, I think it's even more impressive that he's playing this well when he has Skura next to him and when he has the joke of the interior offensive line that the Giants are putting out there right now and Soldier on the other side just being an absolute joke in pass protection as well. So I think it's, it's even more impressive. How about the worst player on film for you? I'm going to allow you to take the obvious one. And yeah, I'm going to well, go. <laughs> there's a player who's benched in game. So that's that'll be yeah. my bet, Matt Skura. Yeah. So for me, I'm going to go with Billy Price, man. I mean, Billy Price was a reason and I don't have the PFF numbers in front of me, but he had to surrender several pressures in this game. He was a big reason as to why those stunts were getting through the a gap so consistently. And it's not all on price, but he's the one who's supposed to come off the block. It's also on Will Hernandez, Matt Scura, Ben Bredesen, the guy next to him to handle the transition from price, but price always seems to be a step behind. So I have to go with Billy. Sure. I would agree with you on that one as well as a nice follow-up. How about a pass blocking grade one through 10? We always like to do these. Yeah, I'm going to say a 1.7. And again, a lot of this was Miami just bringing a lot of pressure, but there were just so many times in this game, Dan, where the protection of the Giants were just out-schemed and they had no idea who to block, where it was coming from. They seemed like they were a chicken with their heads cut off. So I'm going to go with a 1.7 here. Too many times out-schemed, too many times bad communication, then even just some one-on-one terrible blocks that I saw on the edge from Solder that seemed to happen every single game, and yet somehow Matt Parrott is so bad he can't start over him, which is just an absolute travesty, to be completely honest with you, for a team that invested nothing in offensive tackle this past offseason, absolutely nothing, knowing full well one of Solder or Parrott would have to play this season. Crazy to think about. So I'm going to go with a 1.3 because – Bad overall blocking, 
bad one-on-one blocking with the exception of Thomas. And then obviously that one, the two plays that stood out to me where they have just three, three players running routes and yet they can't seem to block. They can't block anyway with all those players in pass pro. So it's just, it's so frustrating, man. How about the run blocking grade one through 10? Yeah. Miami had 22 pressures in this game, which isn't the most that the giants have allowed this season. It seems like through several of these games, I think the Buccaneer game, they allowed the most pressures the Buccaneers ever had. And that is a team that loves to blitz. So it says something about the giants offensive line, the run block. And I think it was the Buccaneer game. Don't quote me on it. Run blocking. I had a 3.6. I felt like there was plenty of plays where there was just absolutely nothing there, but on a couple different plays, I felt like the giants held up or executed their assignments well, which sprung some of the bigger plays. But again, that was assisted by the scheme. So it depends on how you kind of want to break this down. It would be lower. I'm kind of taking the scheme into account here. But if it's just the run blocking of the Giants in general, it'd probably be like a 2.3. Yeah, I'm going to go just run blocking Giants in general, and I'll say 2.1 based on that. I can agree with you. I think some of their best runs came just based on good decision-making by Freddie Kitchens to run tempo and catch them off guard two plays. But when you take out those two plays there, there wasn't really all that much there in the run game. And again, they just don't win one-on-one in the run game. They still have me. It's just so many mistakes in the run game from a blocking standpoint. It's tough, but yeah, those are our grades. Obviously not too high on the blocking standpoint. That's something we, we know going into the off season, the giants will have to focus on. Thank you to everybody tuning in for the big banter film breakdowns, even through a season like this one, we really appreciate you. And for the rest of you, we will talk to you soon. The defensive podcast is coming up next. So have a great rest of your week and go giants. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.